Hey, would you join me in thanking the worship team for uh, leading us so well each and every week? Blessings, you guys. Appreciate you. Hey, happy Father's Day to everybody, uh, especially to those dads uh, who are in the room, who that title applies to. I think it's funny and a little sad how on Mother's Day uh, we are so encouraging and we praise our moms, talk about how well you're doing, so much life. And then on, on Father's Day, it's like, figure it out, you slouch. Pick up the pace, would you? So uh, we want to bless everyone here this morning, but especially our dads. We hope you're really encouraged uh, by the message and the worship and everything in between. Hey, a special thanks to, uh, to Nathan for filling in for me last week. Did a great job preaching. Uh, so grateful for him and for the way that you responded and honored him in light of his recent graduation. Sound like a really, really sweet, cool moment. I also want to thank those of you who were a part of our churchwide service day yesterday. Uh, we partnered with Feed My Starving Children, an amazing organization. About two or three hundred of our people, about two or three hundred community people came together. And yesterday in our gym, we packed 109,000 meals uh, for those in Haiti. So we hit the goal. Super cool. Uh, if you missed the event this year, man, we're going to do it again next year. We raised enough money to do it again. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But it was an amazing day. And really a special thanks, my personal thanks, uh, to two of my staff members, Melanie and Scott. They really put in all the behind-the-scenes effort and time. So thank you to you two. Great job. Hope you saw the fruit of your labor yesterday. It was an incredible, incredible event. Uh, we're currently in a sermon series entitled After Life. In the series, uh, it's coming to an end next week. Looking forward to our numbers series that we do each summer. Uh, not the book, hashtag not the book, just, just so you know. Uh, but uh, we're in a series talking about a little place called Heaven. It's a place that we all want to go to, a place that we're all planning on being at at the end, but it's a place, if we're honest, that we know so little about. And so in this series, that's exactly what we're trying to remedy. Let's jump into uh, the message this morning. If you think about it, rewards and awards are a huge part of our culture, are they not? It could be sports or entertainment, business, beauty, well, we love to applaud people for their achievements and lavish them with prizes and honors and ribbons and trophies and crowns. If you think I'm exaggerating here, just to make a point, uh, I would say just look at the sheer number of awards shows that you can watch any given year on network TV. Here we go. We have the Academy Awards, the Golden Globe Awards, the Emmys, the Grammys, the BET Awards, the Tonys, the People's Choice Awards, Screen Actors Guild Awards, iHeartRadio Music Awards, Kids' Choice Awards, Academy of Country Music Awards, Radio Disney Awards, American Music Awards, SBCMT, Billboard, Teen Choice, America's Got Talent, American, Miss America, uh, everything in between, Hall of Fame, and you just keep going on and on and on. I, mean, I should get an award just for getting through a couple of those things, although I kind of butchered it at the end. But all of these shows and all of these presentations have provided us with a few uh, interesting and awkward moments, have they not? There's the whole, uh, oops, I announced the wrong winner. There's the whole two people kissing on stage who shouldn't be kissing on stage. Like, what's going on with that? And there's the whole one entertainer and celeb interrupting another entertainer and celeb, like talking over them. These things are wild. They are intriguing and very interesting. But what I want to talk about this morning isn't the fact that awards and rewards are a big part of this life, what I want to talk to you about is that the fact that they are going to be a big part of the next life, the after life. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, the next time you read the Bible, I want you to do me a favor. Maybe it's a daily devotional you have or, or going through a particular book or just picking it up one day saying, Lord, I'd love for you to speak to me right now. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pay closer attention to the number of times that someone uses language about or refers directly to the accolades 
people will receive in the afterlife. Let me give you a couple of examples, get you started on this. Jesus himself talks very specifically and on numerous occasions about rewards in heaven. Matthew 5, 12, Luke 6, 23, he literally says, Rejoice when bad things happen to you because great is your reward in heaven. Several times Christ talks about treasures in heaven. And he doesn't kind of beat around the bush and say, yeah, you really shouldn't look forward to those. What does he say? He says, store them up, stack them up, prepare yourself, look forward to treasures in heaven. In the parable of the sheep and the goats where Jesus separates people at the end of time, he says that some are going to receive a greater inheritance than others. Luke 14, 14, Jesus tells his followers, when you serve or give to the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, blessed are you, not because they will ever be able to repay you, but because you will be, quote unquote, repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Matthew 19, 29, the disciples come and they tell Jesus, listen, man, we've given up a lot of things for you, so what's in it for us? What are we going to get as a result of all the sacrifices we've made? Remember what Jesus says? Everyone who's left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or fields, for my sake, they will receive a hundred times as much. They will receive eternal life. So Jesus was talking about rewards and awards, the heavenly kind. He was talking about them all the time. And he's not alone. The Apostle Paul mentioned these things all the time. The Apostle Paul is the one who talks about running the race to win the prize. Living life so you will receive the crown that lasts. Right? One day we will receive each what we are due. Paul is constantly talking about awards and rewards. Then you have James who talks about it. You have John who talks about it. And the Hebrew writer could not say it any more clearly than this. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Read that passage aloud with me. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, God is a rewarder. That's his very nature. And the Bible talks very openly and very honestly about the fact that heaven is going to be inaugurated with a huge awards presentation. Minus all those awkward moments, though, I hope. Biblical authors did not skirt around the idea. They did not avoid talking about the fact that the way we live this life somehow and in some way affects what we will receive in the next life. There is some truth to what Maximus said in the movie Gladiator. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Come on, that's my best Maximus, right? I mean, awards, accolades. Oh, thank you, thank you. I want to thank the Academy. It was so, anyway, sorry. But there's some truth to that, isn't there? I mean, Malachi 3 talks about a scroll of remembrance that the Lord has. There are so many things going on here. God is a rewarder. There are eternal rewards, eternal awards that are going to be given out to believers. But if you think about it, although it's discussed so frequently in Scripture, it's hardly ever discussed in church, isn't it? I mean, I don't know in the name of humility or unity. For some reason or another, though, we shy away from talking about those who might receive more than others. And that's a problem. Let me show you one passage that says it very clearly. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. So we make it our goal to please him, to please God, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I honestly imagine not many of us have ever heard a sermon or read a book on the judgment seat of Christ. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about this account that we're going to give at the end of our life. Yet that's exactly what this passage says is going to happen. Now chances are if you have ever heard a sermon about the judgment seat or about this reckoning, well, you probably heard it in very judgmental language, right? You probably heard it in a very condemning way. Be a better Christian or else. Our staff, when we studied this passage together several weeks ago, several of them broke out in cold sweats and a few actually got in the fetal position in the corner. (laughs) Because when they grew up here in this passage, it was all condemnation. It was all fear-based. One day you will give an account to God for what you did. Oh, sure, he's not going to send you to hell, but he's still mad at you. And he's still going to come and give you a good whooping. For some reason, we just think that anger of the Lord is this hidden trait that he has. It's going to come out at some point. And people use this passage to kind of freak you out and fear you into believing that. And I understand. I mean, I feel the same way. I read that, and at first glance, it's a little overwhelming. I mean, God revealing, making known, and then judging everything, including my motives and my thoughts, just kind of laying it out there for all to see. I know exactly how this is going to work out. I'm going to be thoroughly embarrassed, and God's going to be thoroughly disappointed. Let's just get that on the table now. I see where this is going. I mean, logic is logic, right? And we know how this works. I mean, if you don't do your chores, if you don't do your homework, if you don't get your work done at work, there are personal penalties to be paid. I will let you know when you do a good job and when you don't. And there will be a reckoning, an accounting for everything that you have done. And so we assume the way it works down here is exactly the way it's going to work up there. And we're all excited about heaven until we get to this message where it's like, oh, no, no, no. That whole idea of judgment, that doesn't fit my definition of perfect paradise. I understand. I feel the exact same way. And let's say this verse isn't scary to you. Chances are this verse is a little bit confusing to you. Like a judgment for Christians. I mean, doesn't God say he's going to wipe away all of our sin? Separate us from them as far as the east is separated from the west? So why is he going to bring certain things back up? And how can it be heaven if we're each going to receive different things and be honored in different ways? And shouldn't we as Christians not be serving Christ because of this carrot that he has out there for us? Because listen, I'm going to scratch your back, God, then I expect you to scratch mine in heaven. There's so many questions about this stuff, and there's a lot of bad answers to go along with it. So we don't have time to clean up or clear up everything around this idea. But let's spend a few minutes talking about this idea. Because just based on the sheer number of times God mentions awards and rewards in heaven, it appears this is pretty important to him. I think he wants it to be pretty important to us. Let's go back, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. Let's walk through this passage together. So we, Paul's talking to Christians here. We make it our goal. It's our highest pursuit, our, our greatest desire, the one thing we're striving to do more than anything else, to please God. Whether we're at home in the body or away from it, no matter what we're doing, whether we're dead or alive, no matter what conscious state we find ourselves in, our goal, our desire, our longing is to please the Lord. Why? He continues, verse 10. For we must all every single one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Yes, Christ is our brother, he is our friend, he is our king, but one day he will also serve as our judge. And each of us, each one, we're not going to go up as a family, we're not going to go up as a small group, we're not going to go up as a church together. Each one individually will then receive what is due 
for the things you did when you were alive, whether it was good stuff or bad stuff. Or if anything like me, your immediate thought when you hear that passage is like, man, I was really looking forward to heaven, but now I'm not so sure. Let me explain how this all works, okay? The Bible teaches that every person, every single person who ever lives on the earth is going to face a judgment. It's called the judgment of sin. This is where God is going to hold every single person accountable for the imperfection and the immorality in their life. This is where a holy and perfect God is going to justly and rightly remove anything that isn't holy and perfect from his presence. This is where God says, listen, I gave you a perfect life. What would you do with it? You're like, yeah, I kind of messed it up, and I messed up other people's lives, and I kind of messed up creation too. Like, sorry. Well, he's going to say, well, that's a problem because I demand perfection. I demand my life that I gave you back in even better form than I gave it to you. So there's going to be this judgment of sin, of evil, of depravity. And everybody knows, even in, even in our best days, man, we're not as good as we'd like to think we are. So there's this great judgment coming. Well, here's the thing, though, friends. If you have professed faith in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, then that judgment, that enormous judgment over the entirety of your life, all the sins you've ever committed in the past, every sin you've ever going to commit in the future, that judgment has already taken place. That judgment has already happened. It has come and gone. If you are a believer in Christ, all of your imperfections, all of your inadequacies, all of your sin, all of your shortcomings, they have been paid for and purified by the cross. Everybody say, thank you, God. You see this picture right here? You see what happened in this moment? This is where the judgment of your sin took place. This is where God took everything that we had done, everything that had been done to us, all the stuff that we wish we would have done, all the stuff we wish we never would have done, the regrets, the shame, the pain, the anguish, all that stuff. That's where it was judged, and it's a done deal. And when you say, Lord, I believe in you, and I want you to judge my sin there, not here, that's exactly what he does. And so this great judgment of sin, it's already happened for us. For many of us in this room, you don't ever have to worry about that happening again. It's a done deal. You said, judge me with Jesus, and he did. So for Christians, the weight of this judgment, it's not something we have to carry around on our shoulders because Jesus said, I will carry it around on my shoulders. And all we have to do is say, God, would, would the judgment of my life, would, would it happen there? And it will happen there. But for unbelievers, see, for those who don't ask Jesus to remove, to take away, to purify, to cleanse, to restore, to resurrect their lives, to take away all their sin, that judgment is still yet to take place. That judgment hasn't happened yet. That judgment will happen when they die. Those who don't ask Christ to pay the price for their sin, they will pay it themselves. That's what hell is. They will face the enormity and the pain and the shame of their sin for all of eternity. See, the price is going to be paid. The ransom has to be made. It's either going to happen there or it's going to happen in your life in eternity. But those who find themselves in hell, they will only be there after walking straight past the cross because the cross is God's answer. The, the cross is God's solution. The cross is God saying, I will go to and go through hell so you don't have to. You with me? So that judgment, this great judgment of our lives, judgment of sin, for Christians, we, it's already happened. We don't have to fear it at all. For unbelievers, though, it's a judgment that you will not like the result of. You will not like how it turns out. 
So a judgment for sin is coming for every person, Christian, Buddhist, atheist, agnostic, I don't care where you fall on the religious spectrum, your life will be judged. For the unbeliever, that judgment is yet to come and it is not going to be pretty. But for the believer, that judgment has already come. And this picture now is the definition of pretty, isn't it, for us? But here we go. Stay with me now. I know I went heavy there for a little second. I was like, geez, man, kind of like old school Baptist preacher there. Okay, just hold on. There's a second judgment coming for believers. There's not a second judgment coming for non-believers. There's just one. Because they're, they're never going to be able to, to live out that judgment. They're never going to be able to get past the consequence of that judgment. But for the believer, there is a second judgment coming. But it's not a judgment over sin. It's a judgment over stewardship. This is a judgment not about acceptance into heaven. This is a judgment about the adornment that you may receive in heaven. This isn't a judgment about whether or not you are saved. It's a judgment about what you did because you were saved. One judgment is about faith. The other judgment is about faithfulness. Here's how I would try to say it to you. What we do with Christ, our belief in him, determines where we will spend eternity. For whosoever believes the great promise receives eternal life, right? Where you will spend eternity. But how much we live like Christ determines what we will receive and enjoy in eternity. So what we do with Jesus determines where we will spend eternity. But how much we seek to become like Jesus determines what we will enjoy in eternity. Now, again, I know this is kind of weird. I know this sounds like heaven, really? Is it going to matter what I get in heaven? Is it going to be heaven if I receive less of it? Will I notice or care if someone has more than I do? I mean, if envy and jealousy and covetousness are all out of the equation, like, like how is this going to work out? I mean, even the lowest level of heaven is like, I'll take that. So, so what is up with this levels thing? I mean, I knew heaven wasn't going to be like a communist country, but I didn't think there was going to be tiers and rankings. Well, looks like there might be something. Now, I get that, and I feel the same way, but after studying it, I've come to this conclusion. God must evaluate the faithfulness of his own children, and that's what any good father would do because he knows that not all kids act the same way. Not all kids have lived the same way. Not all kids deserve the same rewards. And God would not be fully God if he just pretended that all of us served and sacrificed for him in equal ways. Because it's just not true. But I want you to see this judgment. I don't want you to see it as a judgment. Because when we hear the word judgment, we think judgmental. Right? We think punishment and pain. The word here is the bema. The bema seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. It's more of an assessment seat of Christ. It's more of an evaluation seat of Christ. It's the decision seat of Christ. And it makes sense that a righteous God who knows all things would one day assess and evaluate and then make decisions based upon how I lived, based upon what I did with the gifts he gave me. Because listen, we all, we all have different levels of effectiveness, don't we? We all live different levels of fruitfulness, faithfulness. Let me give you an example. A pastor and a cab driver, they both passed away on the exact same day. The pastor received this little house over in the corner of heaven. It was nice and all. The cab driver received this huge mansion. And the pastor's like, what? What's up with this, Lord? And the Lord says, well, when you did your job, people fell asleep. When the cab driver did his job, people prayed hard. <laughs> you see, we all have different effectiveness, right, in this life. And, and, and our fruit and our faith is, is measured in different ways. 
And I don't know about you, I don't know how you're hearing this so far this morning. I don't know if you're still kind of scared or still kind of weirded out by it all, but I don't know, I don't know where you're at, but I personally want to enjoy and experience the fullness of what he has available in heaven. Amen? Everybody say fullness. That's what you should want to experience. Don't just barely get in. The passages speak about a guy who, who gets into heaven because he just barely escapes the flames. It's like, wow! Man, I'm glad I'm here. I don't want to live like that guy. I want to be like the guy who receives the fullness. That's what John is talking about. 2 John 1.8. Watch out that you do not lose what you've worked for so that you may be rewarded fully. Why would he say rewarded fully if there wasn't differing levels of reward that is coming? So I want to really encourage you. There is so much, so much passion when you understand this judgment is coming, this assessment. There's so much motivation when you understand this evaluation is going to take place. I don't want there to be fear. I don't want there to be trembling. You don't have anything to worry about. I want you to be excited because you will present to the Lord a life well lived. That's the goal. That's the hope. And when we are rewarded fully, that's going to be one thing. But I think, which is equally exciting, we are going to be so stoked when other people in heaven are rewarded fully. Now that sounds weird because awards and rewards right now, they're tainted by sin, aren't they? It's like if you get a reward and I don't, how do I feel? Like, I want that. And when I get a reward and you don't, I'm kind of like, what up? Right? I mean, it's like, I don't know how you do it. I'm not that cool. But imagine a place where, where righteousness dwells, where someone receives the full award of heaven and you praise them for it. The martyr the single mom, the person who served a disabled child their entire life, the one who worked in the nursing home, unseen and unthanked for years, and they received the fullness of heaven, and you say, yes, give it to them, Lord. They deserve that. They are so worthy of it. They loved you so much. They worshiped you so well. Give it away to them. That's how it's going to be in heaven. And I want you to receive the fullness of it, too. And I think, um, I think two people, two groups of people will receive the fullness. And let me just share that with you and we'll, we'll call it a morning. Those two groups of people are overcomers and opportunists. I think they will be richly rewarded in the afterlife. Revelation 3.21 speaks to that first group. He who overcomes, Revelation says, well, I will grant to him the opportunity to sit down with me on my throne. As I overcame, Jesus says, and sat down with my father on his throne. See, the scripture mentions time and time again that, that God understands that this life, it's, it's hard. He gets that. He understands that there are so many trials and temptations in this world, so many obstacles and obstructions in this life. This belief that when you become a Christian, you get a prettier wife and a faster car and a fatter bank account and a bigger house, that's just not true. You may not receive any material blessings in this life when you follow Jesus. The opposite may be true. He may take some from you. So he knows there will be hard times that are yet to come. In fact, he says, get ready, they're coming. And what he asks you to do in those hard times is to just overcome them. Overcome whatever is in your way. Be an overcomer. Do we have any marathon runners in here? Anybody ever run a full marathon? Couple? Okay. Wow. More people in the first service, which has a lot more gray hairs, have run marathons. Church, let that be an inspiration to you. Or maybe they were just lying, and I couldn't call them out anyway. Or maybe they had more time in their life. Any, okay, so the Boston Marathon, it's one of the most famous marathons in all of the U.S. 
And it's one of the most difficult marathons in all the U.S. Here's, here's why. Around mile marker 20, as you're nearing exhaustion and running on fumes, you come to something known as Heartbreak Hill. It is a severely sloped half-mile incline that you have to run there towards the end of the race. I don't know if you can see the picture in the bottom right. There's a dude dressed up as like uh, the death man or whatever you would call him, and he says, the end is near. Whole new meaning to that phrase when you're on top of that hill, or I should say at the bottom of that hill. But those who make it past that, that obstacle, those who overcome that elevation change and the shin splints and the exhaustion, they are rewarded for their efforts. The end truly is near. The rest of the race is downhill, and they're about to be applauded and welcomed to the finish line. You just got to get past Heartbreak Hill. And I honestly think that that marathon and that particular section of it is a perfect depiction of life. I mean, if life wasn't hard enough with all the pain and loss and fears and frustration that's a part of it, there's always a Heartbreak Hill, isn't there? Just when you think you can't do anything more, you get to the base of Heartbreak Hill. Just when you think that finances couldn't be any tighter the car breaks down, the AC goes out, that medical bill is twice what you expected. Just when you thought you couldn't feel worse physically, you do. Just when you feel like the sadness or the grief were over, that you were moving past it, you're overcome by emotion, overwhelmed by emotion. You can hardly even lift up your head. Just when you thought that relationship couldn't get any colder or crueler, it does. You know what that's called? It's called Heartbreak Hill. And if that describes you right now, if you feel like you were at the bottom of Heartbreak Hill, that you were just fighting to make it one step at a time, if you feel like you're about to give up, that your body's about to give out, that your soul cannot bear anymore, my word to you this morning is keep going. One of the great callings in your life is to overcome. Overcome the sadness, overcome the loneliness, overcome the diagnosis, overcome the drama, overcome the obstacles, overcome. Stick with the difficult marriage. Persevere through that difficult situation. Keep serving your ailing parents. Stay with that demanding job. Don't give up on your prodigal children. Overcome. Everybody say, overcome. That's what you've been called to do. And I don't care if at the very end you are a bloody mess and you're just barely crossing the line. Those who overcome, the scripture says, will be greatly rewarded. So overcome, just overcome. Another group of folks who are going to be richly rewarded are the opportunists. Uh, a child was being attacked by a dog uh, just a few miles north of here, actually, and a college student came to his rescue. The student actually grabbed a stick and started beating the dog and hit the dog so hard, knocked him out, and actually killed the dog. Well, a reporter saw the whole thing and, and said, young man, tomorrow the headlines will read, Brave CSU Ram saves boy's life. Oh, I don't go to CSU, the student said. Oh, the reporter replied. Uh, okay, courageous Air Force cadet rescues helpless boy. I don't go to the Air Force Academy either, the boy said. I go to CU Boulder. Oh, the reporter said. Well, then the headline's going to read, Inconsiderate CU student kills man's best friend. See, it's easy, is it not, for the good things that we do in this life to be misconstrued, to be misunderstood, that will not be the case in heaven. God will know what you have done. 
especially the secret things that nobody else knew you ever did, and he will, he will reward you for that. Ephesians 5.15 tells us this. So be careful how you live, and don't, don't live like fools. Live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. See, when it comes to being rewarded in heaven, God is looking to see if we made the most of the opportunities that we were each given. In the great parable of the talents that we talked about before, three guys were given three separate amounts of money, and each was then judged and rewarded when the master came home based upon what they did with their amount. They were not judged in comparison to one another. They were not judged on a sliding scale. It was not a bell curve. The one guy, you received this, what'd you do with this? The other guy, you received this, what'd you do with this? And the third guy, you received that, what'd you do with that? Each person was judged according to what they individually had received. And the same is gonna be true for us. We will be assessed, we will be evaluated. God will make decisions based upon what we did with the opportunities that we were given. How did I as a pastor handle the opportunities I had to teach and to lead and to serve those who were in my path? How did the stay-at-home mom handle the opportunities she had to cheat, teach, and lead and serve the people who were in her path? How did the rich man handle the great wealth he was given? How did the poor man handle the little bit of wealth he was given? How did the great evangelist handle the opportunity to share the gospel with huge crowds? Well, how did that one Christian in a non-Christian neighborhood handle the opportunity to share the gospel with their neighbors? See, every person will be judged according to what God gave them, their talents, their gifts, their material blessings, their time, their opportunities. And the Lord's going to say, what did you do, Thomas, with what I gave you? I'm not talking about Becca right now. I'm not talking about Nathan right now. I'm not talking about anybody else in your church. I gave you certain things. What would you do with them? Just you, me and you, right now. No comparison, no sliding scale, no bell curve. What did you do, Thomas, with the things that I gave to you? And I think God wants us to be opportunistic. Man, he wants us to make the most of every opportunity. Why would he say it if he didn't believe it? Right, that moment you have, that relationship you have, that extra car you have, that, that basement apartment you have, or spare bedroom that you have, that gift of encouragement you have, that gift of leadership you have, that gift of accounting that you have, whatever it is that you have that you've been given, you need to make the most of it. Because those who seize the day and seize every opportunity, they're going to be richly rewarded in heaven. All right, there's so much more we could talk about here. Uh, but let me wrap it up by saying this. I don't want you to walk away this morning having the wrong idea when it comes to rewards in heaven. I'm not talking about more jewels in your crown, right? Now that's what people talk about. Like, there's an extra jewel in your crown. I'm not talking about a bigger mansion or a larger flat screen TV to watch the Broncos because we all know the Broncos will be in heaven. I mean, that's easy. But anyway, the rewards, the awards that God's faithful followers can expect to receive, at least in my opinion, are these. There's going to be a great delegation, meaning that God is going to look to those who overcame. He's going to look to those who made the most of their opportunities, and he is going to delegate to you a great responsibility. You're going to have great honor and high importance in heaven. You're going to have a great job to do. There's going to be a great delegation. There's also going to be a great celebration in heaven. That's going to be a great reward for us, will it not? We're going to be up in heaven partying with God. Everybody say party. Yeah, with God. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that too. Because that's true. That's how it's going to You're going to party with big G God. You know him that kind of made the universe? I imagine he could probably throw a pretty sweet party. We're going to be up there with the Lord. Remember what Jesus says to some of his followers? He says, when you believe in me, 
you believe in the cross, you get to enter into my joy. There's gonna be a great celebration up there. Another great reward will be identification. Sure, he's gonna delegate some work to us. Sure, he's gonna celebrate with us, but he's also gonna have an identification moment. Scripture says on multiple occasions, each of us are gonna receive a new name in heaven, a name that describes who we are, a name that kind of prophesies and predicts who we will be for all of eternity. But in addition to delegation and celebration, identification, one of the greatest rewards I think that we will have in heaven is exaltation. See, we all know that heaven is going to be filled with our praises of God, but do you realize that heaven will also be filled with God's praises of you, of us? Therefore, 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Can you even imagine what this moment will be like? Right, two out of the three guys in the story, I was telling you the parable of the, of the, the talents there, two out of the three heard this, well done, my friend. Well done. Good and faithful servant. And I think a great reward many of us will receive is a personal word of affirmation from the God of the universe. God will look at you. No one else will even matter in that moment. He will look and you will say, thank you. I saw you when you did that and you didn't give up right there. And I noticed when you loved that person and that sacrifice you made that one day. Oh, thank you. God will praise you. Can you even begin to imagine that moment? God praising us. He will say directly to you, thank you. I'm proud of you. Well done. Well done, my friend. I don't think there's going to be any greater reward than that. All right, I want to close this morning by speaking to the dads. Uh, dads are typically all about awards, aren't they? I don't think participation ribbons were invented by dads. Like, it's just not. No, 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 no. Dads keep score at games where you're not supposed to keep score, right? Dads are all about receiving awards. I mean, we all have, like, our little trophy case, even, like, the high school jersey still hanging up or whatnot. And dads love for their kids to receive awards. I mean, dads really understand the idea of of crowning a champion. And that's good. That's good. What I want to do this morning, though, is really challenge and encourage you dads. I want to challenge you and tell you the greatest thing you can do for your family, dads, the greatest thing you can do for your children, the most important thing you can ever teach them, the most important thing you can ever remind them of, the most important thing you can ever model for them is that God is a rewarder. And the rewards in this life matter very little because we forget very quickly who won the award. We could care less. But the awards in heaven will last for all of eternity. And so dads, I want you to be the example and be the model of a man who will be rewarded richly in heaven. And I want you to teach your kids that there will come a day where what they did in this life will impact and affect what they experience in the next life. So dads, if you would, would you stand up for me real fast? If you are a dad, I'd love for you just to stand for a second. I want us to say a special prayer of blessing over you. This is not an easy call. To exemplify and encourage your family, to be spiritual overcomers, to be godly opportunists, but that is your calling today. You overcome, dad. Whatever it is in your life that you're going through, be an overcomer. You, dad, be an opportunist. Take advantage of the opportunities that God is giving to you, and then you teach your kids to do the same. Because there is a great reward for those men and their family who choose to live like Jesus, who choose to overcome 
and make the most of every opportunity. So let me pray, pray over you and we'll get you out of here. God, you are our father and we thank you for that. You are a good, good father. Even when you discipline us, Lord, it's for our good. Even when bad things happen to us, Lord, it's for our good. And we just wanna stand back and just say, thank you and happy Father's Day to you, Father, for taking us in and adopting us as your sons and daughters. But right now in this moment, Lord, we pray specifically over our fathers, our earthly fathers, those men in this room who are standing in this moment. And I just pray courageously and boldly over them, Lord, that they would live like Jesus, that they would take this message to heart, that they would realize there is a great prize awaiting them. And there's great rewards awaiting their family, but not here on the earth. We could care less about the trophies or the crowns or the ribbons or the jewels or whatever we can win in this life. Who cares? We want to fight the fight and, and run the race in expectation of an eternal reward. And so we just pray over these men right now, God. Would you give them the courage? Would you give them the stamina? Would you give them the wisdom? Would you give them the love? Would you give them all the fruits of the Spirit so they may be models of this life? So that their kids may see these men are living in light of the life that's yet to come. These men are living to receive a great reward from you. These men are overcomers. These men are opportunists. Lord, I pray that you would make each of the men here this morning just like that, because great will be their reward in heaven. Bless these men. Strengthen them to be all they can be and more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's thank our dads this morning and who they are. All right, church, I've taken enough of your time. Have an amazing weekend. Don't forget your dollar in the bin on the way out. We bless a lot of families, single moms, those with medical issues uh, with that money. We'd love for you to put some money in that bin. Have a great Father's Day. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon.